Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Straight Talk Radio, where we discuss business, politics, and culture. I'm your host, Donya Keating, live from the Seattle area at 3 p.m. Pacific time today on September 4th. Listeners, if you're up for some on-air chatting with us, dial 646-378-0261. Make sure you press 1 on your keypad so we know you want to talk to us, or you can send us some questions and comments on the chat feature, and we'll get back to you there. Um, this afternoon is going to do a little things a little differently. We've got... Um, Larry Coppola, who's in the studio with us, and he's going to be my guest co-host. He is a political pundit. He's the former president and CEO, or no, he actually is still the president and CEO, that was incorrect, of Wet Apple Media. He's the former mayor of Port Orchard, and um, he's co-hosting with me today, and we're going to talk about upcoming elections and candidates for commissioner, legislature, um, other political offices that are out there, and we're going to talk to you about you know, who's worth your vote um, and what we think about the candidates and what a candidate should bring to the table in a 21st century economy. By the way... We've received some comments that covering all of this in a half an hour was ambitious. And so we, for today's show, we've uh, opened it up for an hour of live on-air time to show, slow things down a little bit and maybe take some time to uh, get more calls in to boot. Larry, are you out there? Yes, I am. I'm right here. Say hello, hello. Hello. Hello, hello, hello. <laughs> So we're going to slow things down. Usually we try to get a lot of information in there in a half an hour. We're going to, you know, just, right, just roll with it, right? You're there. We can hear you. Okay, good. So, okay, so, Larry, uh, let's just jump right in. Which okay. races do you feel are the most important and why? Well, I think they're all important, of course, but I think that we have an opportunity to see some drastic changes in our representation at the state level, and I Mm -hmm. think that's important. Uh, You know, as you know, for the last 40 years, the Democrats have controlled uh, the governor's office as well as the legislature, and there's a chance that could change this time. And so I think that's very important. And at the local level, when we talk about the commissioner's race, I think that we've got two great candidates for a change. And, uh, but there could be a change there as well to where uh, the Republicans make some inroads. What mm-hmm. I have seen in both Kitsap County and the 26th and 35th districts is that the Republican Party has attracted some very electable candidates for the first time mm-hmm. in years and years. So I think that's worth noting, and I think that people are looking at those candidates very seriously. 
Yeah, yeah, the county commissioner race is very important. I definitely think it's time for a change, but not, you know, obviously not just to level out the political parties. I think that has some value. Um, but there was a time I felt very engaged and welcomed. I mean, even when Tim Bodkin or Chris Andreessen or even Josh Brown and Steve Bauer, I mean, when they were around, and to a certain extent, even Charlotte Garrido. Um, and of course, I enjoyed working with Jan and, and Patty Lent, Jan Angel and Patty Lent. You know, but maybe it's just that I'm constantly busy these days, but I just don't feel like the same connection is there for me with the the county commissioners and, and getting engaged and, and so forth. But, you know, regarding Ed Wolf and Linda Streisguth, I mean, I like both of them, obviously, um, for different reasons. Um, both are measured. Ed has global experience, and he's got an invaluable combination of law and business and policy experience. And he has cross-aisle appeal. He's not fractious. I mean, he's someone that you can approach. And Linda's also well-liked, and she's approachable, and she's a highly savvy communications professional. She's interacted with several regions across the state during her work with PSC. So in many ways, it's like you said, it's hard to go wrong with either choice, but for voters, it probably will come down to who will provide some meaningful information, who will get things done, um, who will know how to prioritize, and who can be assertive and sincere in their efforts to improve the status quo. I agree. I agree. Uh you know, when you look at both candidates, like you said, Linda is a seasoned communications professional, and I know mm-hmm. when I was at the city, I personally worked with Linda a great deal and found her easy to work with, found her very smart, very uh, just uh, somebody that thinks ahead. And that's not always the case with uh, elected officials. <laughs> but uh, one thing that, that I was disappointed with Linda about is in an endorsement interview that I was part of, I asked her specifically about the uh, prosecutor and the fact that we've got this 15-year case going on that the prosecutor has lost, what, four times in court now? and And has openly defied a court order. And I asked her if she was going to sit still for that, especially since, the defendant in this case, which is Marcus Carter and the Kitsap Rifle and Revolver Club, whether uh, she was going to sit still for continuing to fund what has amounted to a 15-year vendetta. And she avoided the answer completely, uh, went on about public safety and yada, 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 but basically gave us a non-answer. And I was very disappointed in that, so... You know, but as far as everything else, I don't know. Yeah, and I think that's part of it. It's it's one thing to campaign and for people to talk about how, you know, you're bringing change, you're going to make a difference, and, you know, all the buzzwords that everybody just really gloms onto. I think not everyone, but some people glom onto that. And I think the real thing is if you're really talking about um, uh, change, and, and meaningful change in the political, um, governmental pr- arena, it really has to be with people who are willing to be unpopular. I mean, I know that the funding comes from being with a party, and you can't really say anything that's going to offend anyone, but I, I think that right now people are really looking for someone who's willing to step out there and say, yes, I'm a Democrat, yes, I'm being funded by them, yes, I'm from the party, but I need to take a stand on this issue because we need to find a way um, to be fair to, to, to businesses and to be fair to others, and this is not something that sits right with me. And it may lose 
you know, some votes or it may lose you some funding, but you, you, you may just take that risk and, and get even more people behind you. And I think that that's sort of the thing when we start talking about later what we look for in a candidate. I think that's, ty- that's the sort of thing that people are, are thirsting for. Just my take I on agree. That. I agree. I, I agree with you 100%. You know, in, in the issue with the prosecutor, uh, the prosecutor's office, since this has been going on, has spent about half a million of our tax dollars fighting this battle that they continue to lose. And what I had asked Linda was, uh, since the commissioners have the final say on the prosecutor's budget, where is she going to sit still for that? And I wanted to clarify that point. Um, because it was more about the budget than her being able to direct the, the prosecutor, so I want to be fair to her there. When oh, you sure. look at when you look at Ed Wolf, uh, like you pointed out, Ed has international experience. Uh, from what I understand, he's a pretty good lawyer. Uh, I look at the uh, case with uh, in Mason County uh, with. I think it was the Seller Center where they tried to sell it or something like that. I don't know all of the particulars of it. Right. Where they tried to sell a piece of land at less than value and and Ed won that case hands down against, uh, I think it was American Marine Bank. So, and and he's won some other big cases too. I think he kind of picks and chooses his his cases. But... Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I understand he's a pretty good attorney, pretty sharp. Worked in the Reagan administration, yeah. uh, negotiated the fishing treaty with Canada. So, mm-hmm. you know, he brings a lot of experience to the table. And the kind of experience that we haven't had before, uh, I don't think we've ever had experience at that level before. So, you know, I, I, think, I think people got a great, great choice here, great set of choices. Yeah, and I, you know, the thing with Ed and, and Linda, they've got to do what they got to do to campaign, and I get that. And I, I think that sometimes you're thinking about a county commissioner position, and that's what you're going for. But I, I today, in today's world, I mean, there's very few um, borders in reality. And so, you know, Ed's connections and his ability to reach all the way up, you know, to the White House, if necessary, um, to work on behalf of the county, I mean, that's that's a strength. Um, I'm not saying that Linda oh, doesn't yeah. have that access. I don't know if she does or doesn't. My take on it is that she doesn't, but I could be wrong. But I know that Ed does. And so th- those are the types of things that opens doors. They, they open doors for us. And, you know, I think those possibilities are worth it. And, and yeah, of course, there is that whole, you know, D versus R thing. Um in having balance, because there are D's and there are R's here. I mean, there are people that are independent. There are people that go across the aisle. But the bottom line is that if you're representing a county and there are a lot of different people here of different um, you know, political persuasions, then someone has to speak for those those other people. And so um, if we become too partisan where we're not listening to independents or Tea Party people or Republican people or whatever, it brings up the question of how well are we really representing our interest here in the county. So, I mean, there's some validity to that. Um, what do you think about the U.S. Congress race? I mean, with uh, Derek Kilmer, and do you oh, think that that's think essentially Derek a slam Kilmer's, dunk? Or yeah, Derek's going to win hands down. You know, he does. He's done a good job. He, I've seen Derek speak, gosh, probably a dozen times now, and in fact, just yesterday, and he is very sincere in his belief that. Congress is not doing its job. 
I think we all understand that. <laughs> and, and 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 you can tell that that he's disturbed by it. I think that Norm Bix helped him get started, uh, introduced him to the right people, and I think that. Derek is on his way to being as effective uh, a congressman as Norm was. And Derek's still young. He's still in his 30s, so he could be with us a long time. As far as his opponent, uh, his opponent ran against him last time. He didn't really know what he was talking about then, and I don't believe he knows what he's talking about now. Uh, I think he's the sacrificial lamb, actually. So really? That's my take on that. Yeah, I do. I mean, he'll get some votes. He'll get re- the hardcore Republican votes, but I think Derek's going to have a lot of crossover vote as well as, uh, you know, straight-line Democratic votes. Derek's doing a good job. It's obvious he's doing a good job. It's obvious that he feels for the people. I think he goes out of his way and works harder than, than most people in his position. I mean, you see him in the district all the time. And that's a good thing. So, you know, I think he's I think he's a slam dunk to win, and I think he's a slam dunk to win for the right reason. He, uh, you know, I, he kind of reminds me of you know Mr. Smith goes to Washington, you know, in the beginning. He's just very sincere, and he didn't want to do it in the beginning. And we talked for many years about you know, will you ever go for something higher? And he said no. So when we saw him doing this, it was like, wow, you really have, you know, had a rethink about that. And we talked about why he did it. And he explained that in several of his meetings. But, you know, now he's become, you can see him transitioning, and he's becoming more of an operator now where he gets it, you know, in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's a, he's a great, brilliant, earnest, very sincere leader. He's trustworthy. He's willing to bridge gaps. Um, sometimes I get a little frustrated with him, you know, in trying to get funding to, you know, some viable technology initiatives or nonprofits who bring a lot of, you know, weight to the region. But, you know, that's no different than any other elected official, really. Um, but what I do like about him, you know, and I don't know if I would attribute this to his youth or just his savvy or whatever it is, but he's very engaged with the technology industry and the community, and he gets it. And uh, it, that that is important because the world is changing so rapidly, and it really does impact so many industries and the way that we live. And so it's really important that um, that a leader that's going to be going to bat for us, you know, all the way up to Congress understands that and how we're trying to position ourselves. You know, his opponent, like you said, I mean, I think in some ways you always have to have, you know, an R. It's not that I don't like him. I do. And I, and I particularly appreciate the philosophy that he has that, you know, new versus ingrained blood is sometimes needed in government's leadership. But you know, the reality is it's a massive machine that can very easily consume and render you irrelevant. If you're too idealistic or unrealistic about the changes that, you know, you espouse, you're going to go in there and force. And it reads well, but I know better. I mean, I'm, I've been in the arena my entire life in one way or another. And I don't think he's going to beat Kilmer, but I think he should stay in the game, uh, so to speak, because I think he has at least a decent level uh, of of level-headedness that could contribute some type of um, some benefit to the process. So I don't know. I mean, definitely Kilmer. I mean, I think everybody pretty much understands that. But, yes, interesting. Well, race. I think perhaps his opponent should maybe run for the city council where he lives or something like that. Hmm. Take, take on a little uh, a little less huge job for the first time mm-hmm. out of the barrel. You know, I felt the same way about Jesse Young when he originally went to this position two years ago against uh, against Norm. 
Right. And, you know, he had, Jesse has a compelling story when when you listen to him. I mean, here's a guy that was homeless, you know, came from a homeless yeah. family, lived on the streets in, you know, the hilltop area of Tacoma, and yeah. has made a huge success of his life. I felt like at his age, again, early 30s, that perhaps the state house is where he should have started rather than try to jump right to Congress. And I I really believe that in this race that he's in now, I think he's going to prevail. When you look at yeah. the numbers from the primary election, I think the percentages are, are going to hold. I mean, he had a, a Republican opponent in the primary. And That's right. Yeah, and if you, take, you, if you take the votes that, that Young got and the votes that his primary Republican opponent got and add them together, he beats Nathan Schlichter by, I don't know, 4 or 5%. Mm-hmm. So I... I think that's a good thing. And Nathan had a lot more name familiarity because of his run against Jan Angel and all Mm -hmm. the money that was spent in that race promoting him. And, uh, you know, Jesse, I think, still has a a pretty fair shot at beating him. You're right. He did. He did. He went from homeless and the troubled youth to valedictorian and small business last, you know, tech entrepreneur and now, you know, state representative. And that's a that's a compelling American story. And, you know, Nathan's got medical experience and he's got a desire to fix a horrifically broken health care system. I mean, that's certainly appealing. But, you know, I'm not versed in what he did to address that from the inside, you know, when he was practicing. So I don't know. He's already in place, and I know he cares about education as well, and he seems to be a common-sense sort of fellow. But I I agree with you that uh, Jesse has appeal not just because of his story, but I think there's just a a perception with people that he has the ability to bridge uh, generations and industries. And, you know, he doesn't come off as someone who who was privileged. I don't think that that should matter, but for some people it does. And so I'll be interested in how this race turns out. What do you think about the... uh, Let let me finish this first, okay? Yeah, yeah, go for it. Nathan is a really, really smart guy. I mean, he Absolutely. graduated college at 17 or something, uh, went to medical school and uh, went to law school and graduated both by the time he was 21 or 22. I mean, he's oh, a... brilliant, yeah. Yeah, he, he is. But he's somewhat aloof and I don't think he connects with voters at a personal level very well. And where I think with Jesse, when you talk, when you see him and you meet him, what you see is what you get. I think that he's sincere. I think he's smart. I think that he's got a lot going for him. And when you look at the makeup of the 26th district, it's it's fairly moderate. It's not uh, it's not conservative, but it's not as liberal as Nathan is by any stretch of the imagination either. Which is right. why I think Jan Angel won the way that she did and, you know, has been elected every time by the way that, that she has been. And uh, I think at one time it was a little more liberal than it is, but I think the voters have gotten older and smarter. So I don't know. But uh, for that one, I I think Jesse will pull it out. So anyway, I didn't mean to interrupt you, so go ahead. 
No, that's all right. I mean, that's what we're here for. And we're, like I said, we're taking it down a few notches, and we're just going to be more casual, and everything doesn't have to be perfect, and we can just have fun. So let's get forward since we're on the uh, 26th. What do you think about the whole um, Larry Sequist? Uh, what do you think about his race? Oh, he's on the run. Uh, Michelle Caldeer has got him on the run. In fact, I got a, uh, a campaign solicitation, donation solicitation from him today, and and he says they're coming after him. I mean, he makes no bones about the fact they're coming after him, <laughs> and they are. <laughs> I mean, they've uh, uh, Michelle got within 500 votes of him in the primary, and and she had no party money at all. So Interesting. I think, yeah. yeah, I think for her to be able to do what she did, and in the endorsement interviews that I was in, I'm hearing Larry say things that he wouldn't have said four years ago. You know, he's trying to be a friend of business, and you know, talking about how important business is to the legislature and all of that. Where four years ago he wouldn't have said such a thing. So. You know, it's interesting because you know, Michelle brings kind of the same things that Jesse does in a sense that, you know, she's the dentist, the professor, and she was in foster care, a single mom, you know, just those, those things that make people real. Um, and, and, you know, with Larry, I like him. I know him. I think he's got an impressive defense background um, and, and some other things. But I remember Josh Farley on Kitsap's son taking him the task on Facebook once because, you know, Larry was complaining about some type of educational issue. I don't remember what it was, but he had posted something and said, you know, this needs to stop. And Josh went and got the voting record for that issue and posted it and said, well, then why'd you vote against it? And it was a really major oops, obviously an opportunity to be transparent and have a discussion. But my recollection is he just kind of went away. And so, and then there was another occasion when we were speaking with him at an event, um, an educational event, and he immediately launched into some kind of partisan rhetoric about how certain things weren't being done because the Republicans were at fault and they were stopping all the um, progress. And we just looked at him and said, you know, that partisanship that you're you know, resorting to is really part of the problem as well. And so we tried to have an intelligent discussion with him about the issue without launching into that. And then there was a third occasion when he agreed to participate in a summit, but he was impossible to contact after that. And he eventually canceled through his staff, but it was after all the PR had been continually launched out there and had been made public and you couldn't change it. Now, none of these things are major in and of themselves, I guess, but you know, he's done other work during his service. That's commendable. But you, it comes down to when we talk about what you look for in a leader, you've got to walk your talk. And you got to be able to stand up, and and I think that's part of the why they're after him and why his time may be coming to an end. I mean, yeah, you never know. I mean, there's always a very partisan split sometimes, you know, in in different districts. But it would be interesting to see that race as well. Well, I think the Republicans have attracted a candidate who is smart, who is attractive, who has a compelling story to tell. Uh, she's obviously a novice. But I've heard her speak as well, and she comes across as exceptionally sincere, mm-hmm. which is unusual for political candidates. She doesn't come across as a candidate. She comes across as a friend almost. Right. Um, and I was in uh, an endorsement interview for uh, the Association of Washington Business. I just sat in on the interview. I wasn't part of the panel. 
But uh, when they were discussing the candidates afterwards, they said the same thing that I said earlier about Larry saying things he wouldn't have said four years ago. And also that, uh, yeah, Michelle is, uh, is a little green, but everybody's got to start somewhere. And they, they, people around the table almost unanimously endorsed her and said, you know, if i got to pick one of these, I'm picking her. And That's interesting. Other business, other business groups that I've seen and have observed and a couple that I've been a part of, the sentiment has basically been the same. So I think they've got Larry on the run. I don't think he ever thought that she'd get as close to him as she has or as she did in the primary. And looking at this thing he said today, uh, you know, it's a typical Democratic stuff where they're blaming everything on the Koch brothers. And, you know, that's who's, you know, they're trying to buy the election, yada, yada, yada. Uh, yeah, although they don't say anything yeah. about that guy from, what, Steyer, is that his name, from California doing the same thing? <laughs> you know, I don't say anything about him. Yeah, yeah. I think but it's what he does say when you start setting that. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, big outside money is nasty money, money for negative personal attack campaigns. I won the primary my way. I never attacked my opponent. I used our campaign mailers to outline the issues and choices ahead. With Congress stuck in gridlock, the Koch brothers who fund the Republican State Leadership Committee are ready to spend massive amounts of money to influence local policy decisions in their favor. I can't fight back on my own. I need your help. You know, will you chip in money here? And, I, I just don't you know. <laughs> I mean, I get so sick of hearing about the Koch brothers and Alec, I can't begin to tell you. You know, I, I think that the Democrats make a major mistake when they keep trying to drag that stuff in there because They've said it so much that I think it, it's reached a point where it, it's like crying wolf. And, you know, people are tired of hearing it. Yeah, and I, not, I'm one of those true. people. Yeah, I'm Come tired on. of hearing it from both sides. I, you know, I, it, whenever something happens and whatever it is, I don't know what the headline is, and it's all the way from the top on down, but, you know, my email, my inbox lights up, and it's somebody from, you know, the NRSC or somebody from the other side, and it's, oh, my God, look what they did. And it's some sound bite, some stupid sound bite that tells us we have to mobilize or get mobilized because of something someone did. And, you know, I just... I, I don't pay attention to either one of them. It, it, it just really dumbs down the conversation, and I think that people are at the point where they are way past deserving better, and so I, I just don't even fall prey to stuff like that. But we were just talking about well, um, the 26th, so what about, okay, yeah. so you talked about Jan earlier. What Do you do you think Jan is in, or you? what do you think about that? Yeah, I do. Um, you know, she's going to have the benefit of all of the, publicity and advertising and name recognition she got running against Nathan the first time in what was Mm -hmm. the most expensive race in the state's history. So um, she has that, and she's done a good job for the district. I mean, that's the bottom line. Uh, You know, when I see all this stuff about the American Leadership Exchange Council, you know, Alan and the Koch brothers and all that, I mean, that stuff has got to be targeted at low-information voters. And I think that people that have any kind of understanding of the political process at all understand that and don't pay a lot of attention to it, and like you and I get annoyed by it, 
But, <laughs> yeah. uh, but, but I think Jan is going to win just based on the strength of the fact she's done a good job. She's likable. The people in the district have supported her very, very strongly. And her opponent is, is weak. I mean, I sat in an endorsement interview with her opponent, and she doesn't know anything about anything. She knows what the teachers' union tells her. And sitting in the Home Builders Association endorsement interview, we asked questions about the Growth Management Act, and she didn't have a clue what it was. I mean, it's been on the books since, what, 1990 or something? (laughs) You know, (laughs) we could do an entire show about my sentiments about McCleary and, and, and education funding and the very essential need for that industry to be more accountable and efficient versus just pumping money into it. You can't, you can't go into office with a one-trick pony and giving buzzwords, at least not to people like me, uh, even though I have a child, and think that I'm just going to fold over and write you a check without looking at the holistic system there. And what I, what I like about Jan is how well-rounded she is on a variety of issues, particularly small business and the economy, education, and she has a keen acknowledgement that the educational and other systems have to be transparent and accountable. They have to be. She's a creative thinker. She's resilient despite how often she's maligned or mischaracterized, and you just talked about some of that. And she's steady. I mean, she does some things that are bold strokes and up and down, but she's not really the kind of person that's about making a splash and going home. She's in it, you know, for the long haul. Now, Judy has strong community ties, and she's got some insight as a former teacher, and she advocates for working together no matter somebody's party, and that sounds good, but, you know, you, you mentioned how there are some people that are fresh and new and that that's going to be an advantage for them in the race versus being a tried and true ingrained politician. But I don't think this is one of those races where she's going to bounce Jan out of there. And, and, and I, don't I really think don't so think either. she should be. I really don't. So it's I, interesting to I couldn't know. agree with you more. Yeah, I mean, I, I love Jan. Jan is just awesome. And, and she's she's someone that even if she didn't win, which I would hope she she does, she's always going to find a way to make a difference. Oh, yeah. You know, in the interest of full disclosure, at one time we were neighbors. And, uh, <laughs> Oops. And, <laughs> yeah, we, we, we lived, you know, almost next door to each other out on Long Lake way back in the 70s. And uh, I knew her first husband before he committed suicide. Um, I have known her second husband, Lynn, her current husband. I have known him for, he was one of the very first people that I met when I came to Kitsap County. Uh, My first wife worked for him. So Mm -hmm. uh, I got to meet him there and, and I've known him and we've been friends all these years. And I mean, he's, Jan is such a sincere person and such a a warm person and an honest person. I mean, you might not like everything she does, but she does. She's principled. She stands up for what she believes in. And you have to respect that, even if you don't agree with what she believes in. You have to respect her willingness to stand up for it rather than try to be a politician and say, well, you know, that's what you think. Yeah, well, you know, I think that too. And which so many politicians do. And right. I mean, you have to just admire Jan for her honesty, her forthrightness, and and her belief in doing the right thing. 
Well, you know, since you're talking about full disclosure, I mean, I would say that more than half of the people, if not more, that are running for office or that have run at least in the primary and that are now, you know, going through the generals, I mean, I know all of them, if not most of them. We've worked with them on some level. I mean, you're a community leader. You've been involved. So have I. Uh, Some of these people have been in our homes. We've been in their homes. We've gone out socially. We've gone out professionally. You know, but I think the point is that, you know, when you start talking about who's good for office, that's a totally different thing altogether. And one thing that I've had to come full circle on with Jan, you brought up a really good point, is I'm one of those people that I can I can be kind of a Vulcan. And, and you know, it, it doesn't matter to me sometimes how well I know somebody or how much, much I like them. When there is a position and I'm looking at it logically, I mean, that's just how I'm looking at it. And I learned through some of the things that she and I did disagree about and the way that I approached it, that, you know, even though we disagreed, she was hurt because there's a certain way that, like you said, her sincerity, she at the base of how she interacts with people, it's about people for her. And so that whole Vulcan thing with her just really threw her for a loop, and we've you know, finally come full circle with it, and now we're fine. But it was something that I learned about her that actually turned out to be a really positive, a plus, in, in my opinion, in terms of how I view her, that she is just a really genuine person with a heart. Well, I agree. I I so, couldn't agree more about her. I mean, I haven't agreed with everything she's done, but, you know, I admire her for her sincerity and for her honesty. So, what do you think about, uh, what, what do we have, what have we talked about? What, well, what do you think about the Sherry Appleton, Yeah, what, what do you think about her race? Oh, geez. Yeah, Sherry Appleton's going to win. Um, you think so? You know, oh, yeah. You know, she's a representative from the tribe. You know, and, and she lives, you know, the district she represents leans very liberal. Sherry's very liberal. And she's going to be there as long as she wants to be there. Personally, I don't agree with a lot of what she does or, you know, the position she takes. I'm more moderate than she is. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, she's going to be there as long as she wants to be. I know that uh, one time I was down in Olympia testifying at a legislative hearing for something with the city. And there were some other people there, and they were going around visiting legislators. And so I tagged along with them. When I got to Sherry's office, I just said, hey, I don't have anything to say. I'm just here to annoy you. you know, so. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I just got a comment from somebody named Joe who said that for Sherry and her opponent, both of them care about some of the same things that he does, including education, health, the economy, safety, and veterans. And he says, I like Sherry and know her much better than Scott, but the bottom line is access and responsiveness, whatever that means. Yeah. Well, i got to tell you, I, Scott doesn't do anything for me. I mean, he... I think he is a sacrificial lamb, although Scott is one of those people that he believes in what he's doing. He's very uh, very religious, very uh, constitutionally based, everything. he That's his frame of reference for everything. Uh, right. But, but he's just not going to beat Sherry, and, and that's just all there is to it. Yeah. Um, Speaking of which, what do you think, think about I don't think, um... I don't think there's much more to say, you know. Okay, well, that's fair. That's why we're going to just move right on into... I mean, you can talk all you want about her. I just don't have anything more to say. 
Yeah, and, and so. I wish I wish there was, you know, it's like we could go all day and talk about, well, what are the strengths? What are the weaknesses? Why shouldn't she get in? But it doesn't matter. The point is that there are enough people that like her that, she, you know, it's almost like the way Norm was in the beginning until finally he decided to leave. You know, whatever you feel about Sherry, she's in it, she's in it for the long haul until she either gets oh, yeah. a really great opponent or decides not to, to run anymore. What do you think about the whole, uh, you know, position two with Drew Hansen and, you know, what about all that and Bainbridge? Well, Drew Hansen's going to win that one hands down, too. James Olsen has burned so many bridges with so many people that uh, there's no way he could get elected dog catcher, I don't think. <laughs> okay, okay. So here's the thing. Here's the thing about Jim, and so I don't care if it's, if it's not popular to say or whatever, but I like him, okay? So he's bright. I think he comes across much differently in person, at least with me, than he does virtually. And some of his persona is his own fault and a result of his own actions, and we all get that. But the only there's, there's some parts of it that, sh- that I would say are people, and I've watched them in person at different events, where the moment he starts to speak, everybody starts whistling and screaming and whatever. And there are some people who just don't like him, and they don't like his antics, and they just put the worst possible spin on everything he does. Now, that being said, you can't behave like that the way that he does and and get things done as an elected official. You have to be measured and you have to to suspend your temptation to get too emotional or embroiled in some of these long, silly battles he gets sucked into. You know, Drew is highly educated. He's approachable. He's someone you can work with. And that's important, you know, even when you don't agree with his methods or on the issues or whatever, and that's what people are going to elect. So I I don't think that, you know, I think you're right. I think that Jim has burned bridges, but I think that he he's really covering up a lot more that's to him underneath the surface and i i'm not sure why he he picks the fights that he does but i mean it's not that he's a completely you know impossible person to have in a position of leadership i don't know what it is with him though he's his own worst enemy yeah yeah i mean that's so. my take on him he you know all of the antics and all of the you know, you have to pick your battles, especially when you you're in politics. And he picks them all. And there's some that <laughs> are just a waste of time. You know, don't yeah. waste your time. Don't waste your energy. Just uh, acknowledge it and move on. And he doesn't do that. Yeah, you need to be I mean, focused. Every, yeah, everything, and everything is somebody else's fault. And uh, people don't have any patience for that. And you have to be accountable. So, I mean, even if it's painful, and I think we we've had too much of the "I didn't do it," and it depends on what what you mean by "is," which, by the way, was still a brilliant line in my opinion. But that's another story. Um, so, what do you think about the um, the thirty fifth? Well, there's a race. <laughs> uh, oh, you know, wow. the Democrats are committed to getting Tim Sheldon out of there. Yeah, and I noticed. I don't. I don't think it's going to work. Uh, when again, when you look at the vote totals in a three-way race, you know uh, they were split almost evenly. Thirty-three, I think it was thirty-three, thirty-one, thirty-four, something like that. You know, yeah, Irene yeah. Bowling beat Tim for sure uh, in the primary. She had more votes than he did in the primary, but the Republican had almost as many. I, I think there was less than 600 votes separating the three of them. You know, the the Irene Bowling, the the top vote getter, and Travis Kocher, the less you know the 
the person that got the least amount of votes, right. I think there was less than 600 votes between them. Yeah, and, and I think... If you take, yeah. you know, a lot of those people, the people that voted for Travis are not going to vote for Irene Bowling. Travis is a conservative Republican, and they'll either not vote or they'll vote for Tim. And I believe Tim's going to pull it out. You know, yeah, it's, it's almost like. Go ahead. No, no, I was going to say they, they, it's like they they come after him all the time, and and they come after him on the same basis, which is, you know, you're caucusing with the Republicans, and I, the, my response when I when I hear that is, you want a leader who can bridge gaps, you want a leader who can stand their ground and go after the right thing. It doesn't matter if it's for the Republicans or the Democrats. And we say things like this all the time, and even people that are running for office say it, but something happens when they get in there where they realize that that's where their bread is going to be buttered and then they don't want to make any waves. And and we keep saying as a people that this is exactly what we want. We do want people to get beyond just party politics and to make a difference. So I, I, I think he's going to go in there and he's going to win too. I, I couldn't agree more, but it's, it's going to be ugly. Going to be, you know, the Democrats are going to make it ugly because they want him out of there. And, yeah. I mean, they're going to do everything possible to discredit him in every way possible. And and he knows it. And, you know, Tim in his typical unflappable manner is just, well, you know, they're going to do what they're going to do and I'll just have to, you know, weather it and move on. And, you know, I admire that about him. I mean, he doesn't get mad about anything and he doesn't, he doesn't seem to take it personally, but, uh, you know, he just motors on, and I believe he's going to win. And, frankly, I don't think Irene is all that strong a candidate. Um, I, I, and I have to admit, I have not personally met her. Uh, I've talked to her uh, campaign manager, Fran Moyer, at length, and oh, Fran yeah. assures me she's... Uh, <laughs> the smartest person since Jesus Christ. But, you know... Uh, Leave Fran alone. Yeah, be that as it may, you know. Uh, it is what it is. And, uh, you know, Irene will vote the way that Frank Chop and the Democrats tell her to vote. You know, Tim is his own person and votes the way that his constituents want. He wouldn't get elected every time by the margins he does if he didn't do what his constituents want. I think he represents his constituents the way they want to be represented. And I think, you know, it goes to, I'm going to take a little segue for a quick second, and then we'll come back to whatever time we have to talk about some other candidates, because this is just, there's so many of them. But, I mean, what do you think voters should even be looking for in a candidate? You know, we already talked about the cross aisle and the, the, the willingness to vote your the conviction of your constituents and to listen to all of them and try to incorporate them to the degree possible. But what what other things do you think voters should be looking for? I think they need to look at character. Mm-hmm. You know, is this person honest? Is this person trustworthy? Is is this person somebody I'd want to sit down and and talk to? Is this somebody mm-hmm. that I'd want to be an example for my children? I think they mm-hmm. need to look at those kind of things. Um, I think they have to look at how smart they are. <laughs> you know, there's no intelligence test to run for office, and based on some of the people that are in office, that's pretty obvious. But, 
you know, sadly to say, and I'm sure that you and I probably think along the same lines about who those people are, but that's not what this is about. So that's another <laughs> subject for another time. But, Absolutely. Uh, but, you know, I think people need to look at those kind of things. I mean, does this person have common sense? Is this person independent? Are they willing to stand up and defy their party for what's right for their district? I think those are the kind of things that, that we need to look at. That was one thing Derek Kilmer did. He was not afraid mm-hmm. to go against his party if it was something that was important to the 26th district. Right. And, I mean, he was part of that roadkill caucus. Uh and I see him doing the same thing in Congress, and I like that about Derek. I like that about Tim Sheldon. Uh, so I, you know, I think that those are important things, and those are the kind of things we need to be thinking about. One of the so, uh, chatters just threw up a well. One of the chatters just threw up a comment and said that they like people with an open mind, and that's valid too. Um, for me, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a lot. Things that you mentioned, um, you know, resilience. I think that there are a lot of people out there that that get into a mode where they're very, you know, they're watchdogs. Not necessarily a bad thing, but they look for you know things to, to problems to solve or whatever. And yet, the moment something happens where they didn't step up in the way that they represented themselves, because they become almost too self righteous, and then you point it out to them, and then they become victims. You know, you're you're stalking me. You're trying to hurt me. Let me hide from you. And it's like, no, you need to be able to engage at the level at which you started the conversation. And that's very important to me. Um, I think the other thing is that a lot of candidates don't bother to, to address the tech industry elder stakeholders here beyond some kind of a generic fundraiser or their relationship with key movers has been reduced to like emails or calls or postcards or letters inviting you to a fundraiser. And, and all you hear is sound bites. And so, you know, in this election cycle, you know, at, at least one and two are, are – uh, the last one or two, I think, maybe – yeah, maybe, yeah, okay, whatever. But we've held our money close to our chest, and we just said, you know, we're going to wait and hear something inspiring or worth releasing our monies for. And, unfortunately, that hasn't really occurred yet. And so, thankfully, it's gotten us off some of those lists as a result. But it's painful because these are people that you really like, and you want to be able to see them say something more than the standard, oh, it's so beautiful here. So, for yeah. me, I drive a, I, I drive a hard bargain when it comes to what I see in a candidate or a leader. And, yeah, like the other person just said here, an open mind, but and the ability to rise above isms uh, or to deliver, like, patronizing rhetoric that fails to really, truly empower people on the issues and understand that it really starts with the people. Um, but we're also in the 21st century. So, for me, a significant part of our progress or our movement forward is related to an innovative and tech economy, and I know that people get tired of hearing it because they think of Microsoft and everything else. It's not just in Seattle. It's global. So whether it's transportation, whether it's education, art, banking, whatever, there's an evolution about how we understand or make or improve things and our way of living. And I think the people who don't get that, who just want to talk about you know quality of life here or, or how beautiful it is, I think they're kind of missing the point. And... Um, I was looking at something today. It was an article. It was the Business Insider. And they had an article today about Ali Pertovi and his Hadi's his brother. He's the guy that we work with at um, Code.org to do the code, Hour of Code thing in the region, which you know was really successful. But anyhow, it was announced today that he became the chief strategy officer for Hampton Creek. 
And so Hampton Creek is like a food company, and it's a startup that's trying to make eggs obsolete. So they got, you know, eggless mayo, eggless cookie dough, and they're trying to have eggless scrambled eggs or whatever. But yeah, I won't get into the whole story of how all of this came about, and he really doesn't have to work, but you'll have to read the article. But he's one of the top um, angel investors in Silicon Valley, and he built and sold Link Exchange for like 200-some-odd million dollars. He co-founded and sold I Like to MySpace, and he's like an advisor to Dropbox, and he's an early investor in Facebook and Zappos. But my point is this. We need leaders who can think in the same way and keep up with the efforts that are out there to explore how technology impacts so many things in our lives. And a lot of times we don't get candidates that see that. They kind of have they're still, you know, dealing with eight track tapes in a lot of ways instead of understanding, you know, where we are and where we need to go as a region. So I think that you know, what I'm looking for is I'm really looking for a visionary. That's what it comes down to. Well you know, I uh I agree with you for the most part about that. You know, it comes down to character. It comes down to willingness to admit you were wrong about something and being having the courage to change your mind. Exactly. I think those are I think those are important things in a in a politician. Nobody has a lock, neither party has a lock on good ideas. You know, they neither party holds the patent on good ideas. And when there are good ideas and even if you're party doesn't seem to think they're good ideas. If you think they're a good ideas, you should have the courage to stand up and say so. And, right. you know, nowhere is that more important or more prevalent than tech. I mean, tech is moving so fast. I, in fact, I'm writing some stories for a publication that I'm working on right now. And, I mean, I've written two stories about technology for it. And mm-hmm. the Technology that is coming at us is amazing. Oh yeah. I mean, one of the one of the stories was about technology and toilets, and yep. where I realized that doesn't sound very exciting, and you know, some people will giggle about it. The bottom line is that there's <laughs> there are uh, toilets that are extremely uh, technologically advanced. Um, there's one that Kohler has. It's called the Numi, N-U-M-I. And uh, it's absolutely amazing. Uh, I mean, I, d- I just really don't know how to explain it other than uh, all the things it'll do. You know, it's, it's stylish, it's efficient, it's ecologically friendly. Uh, a motion-activated seat and lid, which they call the marriage saver, because it puts <laughs> itself down automatically, you know? Right, right. Uh, <laughs> multi-option bidet wand and air dryer. Deodorizing charcoal filter, so, you know, when you get up, things are gone. Uh, illuminated panels, and it even has a foot warmer, and it has built-in music speakers that hook up to your iPod with Bluetooth. I mean, if technology has invaded the bathroom at that level, what's it doing to everything else, you know? And, and, and you know, I'm not going to say Our elected officials need to understand this. It, it, there, I, I knew you were going to do that. I knew you were going to go straight from the toilet to politics. I knew it. 
Well, I you know, it. they kind of go hand in hand, don't they? No. <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> it kind of reminds me of this kid who's out there with his Kickstarter campaign, and he does a cooler, and he calls it Coolest or whatever, and now he's got the oh, largest Kickstarter. Oh, I want to, I want to it, buy one of those. But yeah, but it brings you back to the point of you know you've got to have leaders. I mean, you're talking about all kinds of things out here, all sorts of subjects: cybersecurity, privacy, big data, whatever. You have to have leaders that are that are visionary enough to understand the opportunities in technology and and how government can can get involved in big data um, to create jobs to to. You know, to to improve economies. If it's a, I can go on and on forever about stuff like that. But basically, you know, somebody was asking what we other things, and somebody just popped in and said, "Do we care about the other races? Are they important? Like assessor, prosecutor, auditor, treasurer? What do we yeah, think about those races?" Yeah, let's talk about those real quick. Um, yeah, real quick, because I guess we we sucked up this time. We right. have like four minutes left. <laughs> I I believe the assessor. I believe the assessor. The prosecutor, not the prosecutor. The assessor, the coroner, the treasurer. Uh, the auditor, these shouldn't even be political races. These are management jobs. They are not political jobs. And when we look at the candidates in those races, in a couple of them, they're political hacks. They are not qualified candidates necessarily. I mean, coroner is another one of those. Um, Those races shouldn't even be political. Those should be appointed by the, the county commissioners or whoever to where we get the most qualified person doing the job, not the person that the party likes. Well, I like Greg. So, I mean, what political qualifications do you have to have to be the treasurer? I want somebody that understands bookkeeping. I don't want somebody that's a, a good Republican or a good Democrat. I want somebody that understands yeah. money. You know that I, you know, you mentioned Treasurer Meredith Green, um, somebody that I know and I've known her for a few years. I actually crossed the aisle to advocate for her years ago when she was interested in the appointed position, um, and precisely because of that, I mean, she had a very, very uh, impressive career in the private sector. Um, as an accountant with, I think I think it was Paladin, and then she had done some other things. And it, that was actually part of the her appeal and why I actually went to bat for her. I said, we need someone that right. understands what it's like to sign, like you used to like to say, the front of a paycheck. And so, you know, it, it, I was actually very pleased that she actually ended up being in there. Yeah, um, I, you know, I didn't mean it to sound like I was picking no, on I know. her, especially because I wasn't. And Meredith is exceptionally qualified, I believe. I agree uh, with that. But, I mean, like the county clerk, we need somebody that understands the administration of government, not somebody that's a politician. And, I agree, yeah. You know, the clerk, the clerk we have there now has been there long enough that he, he I think he does a pro- probably does a pretty good job. Uh, the office runs smoothly. There's You don't read a lot about it in the paper about any problems or anything. And I, I think he does a good job administering the county's business. But, you know, at one time he was a school teacher. I mean, he learned on the job. He learned our, you know, learned on our, our, our dime. And I think for those kind of positions, we need somebody that knows the job and understands what they're doing. Auditor the same way, you know. I mean, the auditor candidate uh, that we have, 
was the hand-picked political person of Walt Washington. Uh, the other one was politician as well, came here from Island County. Uh, right. I don't know, you know, are these the most qualified people that we could get to do this job? I don't know. But I think so that... Somebody just it, threw up. What is this? Uh, we got about a minute left, and they asked us what we thought about... Well, I yeah, the prosecutor, I think that, you know... I'm not even going to get into a long discussion about that. I think that most most people that I know anyway think it's time for a change, so I would just leave it at that. Um, yeah, I agree. And then, they're, and then they're asking about the legislative 35 position one. Okay. I, is that Griffey and Hay? Yes, yes. I, I think third time might be the charm for Griffey. Okay, well, maybe you will, yeah. I mean, Kathy's a good, I mean, good person. I like her, but, yeah, maybe it's time. Yeah. You know, I, I think the winds of change are blowing somewhat, and I think we're going to see some changes that are going to make some people uncomfortable. But I think it's time for some changes. So. Yeah, and to, to that person, yeah, I don't mean to push this forward, but to that person that made that comment, I think that the prosecutor's race in a lot of ways has just turned into a and against Hauge versus a pro-Tina vote. So I think that's just kind of the direction that that's going in, for better or for worse. Yeah, I'm real, I'm, real, I'm real surprised that the two candidates that are there are there because I predicted that it would not be them. I thought it would be Bob Scales against Danielson. So did I. That would have been a great, that would have been a great race. It <laughs> shows what I know, you know. So I guess that's it. People are telling us that uh, whatever. So I guess this is my chance to thank all of you uh, and thank Larry for tuning in today. And you can find this broadcast as a podcast at the site you're using right now. You can follow us there or you can go to Facebook at backslash str8talkradio and you can um, like us there. So next week is going to be um, really fun. It's going to be our second Dreams Weaver series broadcast. And our guest is Norm Johnson, who's a former NFL kicker. He's a two-time pro bowler and he's all pro. And he helped lead the Pittsburgh Steelers to Super Bowl Thirty in the 1995-96 season. So we're going to talk about 12-Man Pale Ale, though, which is a beer he launched with partners late last year so exciting stuff this is your host Sonia Keating and Larry Coppola signing off at 4 o'clock p.m. Pacific Time Thursday September 4th and good luck to the Seahawks anything to say Larry? I was just going to say go Hawks <laughs> <laughs> thanks for joining us everyone